Welcome to the Smart Industry Podcast, Remaking Industry, where we dive deep into the tools, techniques, and technologies that are accelerating digital transformation. Okay, thank you for joining us for the Remaking Industry Podcast today. We are chatting with Berardino Barada, who is newly on board at MXD. We're excited about jumping into this. We love um, all the good work happening at MXD. Um, and we're excited um, to chat with Berardino as he takes the reins there. My name is Chris McNamara, Editor-in-Chief with Smart Industry. We're thrilled to have you join us here today. Um, let's jump right into it. Uh, Berardino Barata, uh, give me your title there first off. So I am the new Chief Executive Officer at MXD. Okay, and we're recording this on July 20th. So what does new mean? When, when, uh, when are you on board? So uh, I've been with MXD for three years in different roles, but I took over as CEO on the 1st of July. So I am now in my third week as CEO. Three weeks. Wow. Okay. You're an old timer now. Um, exactly. Let's get to know you a little bit. Um, talk to me first about a hobby outside of work. What, uh, what are your passions? What are your interests? So this is a funny thing. I don't have a lot of hobbies right now, but I got to explain why. So I took a 10 year sabbatical in the middle of my career and I overdosed on hobbies. I, <laughs> wanted to do renovations, renovated a house, helped friends renovate doors. I spent a ton of time learning about horses and how to ride them and take care of them. I uh, spent time at organic farm, learning about farming and permaculture, you know, did a whole bunch of fun things. So right now, yeah, I still do hobbies and little projects around the house, but it's, uh, I feel like I got enough time with my hobbies that I'm not as worried right now about squeezing them all in. Although I got to say, I'm trying to get back into riding my bike in the, in the woods, a little bit of, I hate to say mountain biking because it is Chicago. Yeah, but uh, got to get that COVID weight off. Yeah, boy, that's the most interesting answer I've heard yet. Most people just say, "Oh, cooking or whatever," but you were a professional hobbyist for a decade. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, definitely blessed to be able to do that. And if anyone ever gets the opportunity, and the point I always say was, I simplified my wife and I and our kids. We simplified our lives to make that an opportunity happen, and best time I ever spent. Awesome, love that idea. So let's talk about work here. Talk to me a little bit about your background prior to the sabbatical and your new role with MXD. And while we're touching on that, give us a, a, a little bit of um, color on who and what and where MXD is. Sure. So I'm a mechanical engineer by education. Uh, plan was to get my PhD, go into you know, either robotics or aerospace. Had an opportunity to join a software startup right after I graduated. And I thought, well, it'd be fun to do that for a year, get the experience. Uh, ended up spending 12 years there and uh, led the engineering team through growth. We were five employees when I started. When I left, we were 650. So got the experience of going public. Uh, we were acquired by Motorola Semiconductor. I was with the, we were run as a wholly owned sub for a little while, but we were the number two tools vendor in, in, the, in the world, actually. Uh, really exciting, fun times. At Motorola, then I moved into running strategy and business development for the wireless and mobile systems group. We made all the chips for Motorola phones back in the day. Uh, and after that, I actually founded the multimedia applications division and ran that for a few years. Uh, tremendous growth, a lot of fun. We're in a lot of evolving devices at the time. During the spin out of Motorola Semiconductor into Freescale and the ultimate, the leverage buyout gave me, uh, I wish I could say a lot of money, but a little bit of money that allowed me to, you know, reprioritize my life and focus on my family. That was the sabbatical that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. When I got back into it, I was a friend was running a software company and he asked for some advice. So helped him kind of do a plan on how to fix the company. He convinced me to come on as CEO. So I did that for a little bit. It was an AI healthcare company, a lot of, 
lot of interesting tech in that space and, and in a way prepared me also for this role. When I left that organization, I was looking for something different that was mission driven, you know, could give back. And that's when I joined MXD three years ago, initially running the tech strategy team. And then ultimately I moved two years ago into running our projects in engineering uh, as the vice president. And then, you know, got the opportunity to take on CEO role. So who is MXD? We are a public-private partnership. We're one of the 16 institutes around the nation. We're backed by the government. Uh, we're DOD sponsored. And we're really focused on driving innovation among manufacturing here in the U.S. We want to really catalyze innovation and help strengthen manufacturing. Each of us have a focus area. DOD, you know, DOD um, gave us the focus of digital and cybersecurity, which I love because data is at the heart of what we do. I like to say we have the broadest focus, which is a blessing and a curse. It is amazing where we can engage with manufacturing and work with them to, to strengthen their operations and drive innovation. It's also a challenge because we have the broadest uh, focus and it means that we have to be careful on where we target. And so we really live in the digital threat. And so where the product development lifecycle as data moves through that, that's where we live and that's where we focus our activities, whether they're outreach, promotion, uh, funded project as a partnership. We take government money. We look at problems that are impacting industry and we put that money out there to find solutions to it. And those solutions then help our manufacturers ultimately adopt them into their operations and become more resilient. And I can't you know, ignore people. Um, we have a very strong workforce focus where we're trying to help you know, create the workforce of the future. So today there's 600,000. I haven't checked the latest jobs report, but unfilled jobs in manufacturing yeah. A lot of predictions are that's going to grow to 3 million in the coming years, 2 million for sure. But now they're starting to raise that number. We're trying to do what we can to help make sure that the workforce is available with the right skills to fill those jobs. So hopefully okay. that gives you kind of a perspective. It certainly does. And for the listeners here, DOD, the Department of Defense. Um, Correct. Talk yes. to me about um, what's new. What's new? Uh, what's a new focus that you, you know, maybe you stepped into or you're helping steer? And then kind of in a broader sense, as digitalization matures here, as we get better and smarter and faster and cheaper with all these initiatives, how is that shifting uh, the focus uh, of, of your work there at MXD? So I have to give credit to Chandra, uh, my predecessor, our former CEO. Four years ago when she joined the institution, she started a transformation that I am not looking to change. I'm looking to continue to, to foster and support as an internal candidate um, it's one of the strengths I bring is that I was part of the team that helped create this strategy. So if you look at what we do, uh, I'll give an example. Like we've been growing tremendously in, in growth. We were named as the National Center for Cybersecurity and Manufacturing a little over three years ago. We have a strong focus on working with uh, small businesses, primarily small and, and medium sized, to help them understand what the risk is around cyber and then start mitigating that risk. Uh, I mentioned projects where we put money out. We currently have 66 active projects as of today. That's triple from when, um, just before I took over as VP of engineering, we tripled the number of projects. In the entire first eight years of the Institute, we completed 74 projects. So we are expanding projects dramatically and I expect to continue to that to grow. What's really exciting about it is the types of projects that we engage in. You know, early days in the Institute, we were focused on more early stage, you know, what is industry 4.0? What is digital manufacturing? We don't have to do that anymore. So now we're focused right. on solutions that are more cutting edge. You know, take computer vision and AI and start doing real-time production testing with cameras, with the AI backing it to identify defects in production before they ever leave the cell. So now all of a sudden you're fixing problems in the moment, you're identifying building problems. If in the case of like adhesive, you know, it's less and less adhesive each time. 
how do we fix that problem? Because a pump might be failing or a piston or an actuator, whatever it is, you now have the source of that problem as quickly as possible. But it also expands what we're doing as an institute. Um, the Department of Defense, actually not a lot of people know that, but they have manufacturing sites that are what's called the organic industrial base. It's the internal to the government manufacturing. And we're actually working with Rock Island Arsenal to lead a modernization effort. You know, Rock Island Arsenal is an amazing place. They've been in, in operation for over 100 years. They have, like a lot of manufacturers in the U.S., some really advanced technology and some maybe 80s technology or earlier. Yeah. You need to think about how to modernize your entire operation. So those are the type of projects we're working on. On the workforce side, you know, we created two documents that we are, you know, a few years ago that we're building on, which were the taxonomy for what are the digital roles in manufacturing of the future. And then the cybersecurity hiring guide, which looks specifically at cybersecurity intersecting with manufacturing. Together, it's 427 roles. And for about 15% of those, we've built out what we call success profiles and, and career pathways. So what does someone early, mid, and late stage look like in that space? The pathways then is how do I get there? So now all of a sudden, people that would never consider a job in manufacturing, they can start thinking about, okay, I can take these courses. I can go do this certification. I can get you know, a very, you know, well compensating, well, you know, uh, benefit role in manufacturing and help close some of those gaps that exist there. Yeah. It's just, it's just a glimpse, but if you look at it, we are, we're doing a lot of interesting stuff. And the idea is to keep doing what we're doing and expand, not create a whole bunch of new paths. Yeah. Boy, I can testify to that. I'm always thrilled when I go visit your place, uh, there in Chicago and such neat stuff, uh, such neat work being done and presentations being done than the, um, the demo floor is always uh, exciting to see some of these uh, technologies and techniques in play. Very cool stuff. Um, let's focus on one of your um, areas of focus, supply chain. Um, things seem to be getting better, um, you know, mid-2022 here. Um, are we emerging from the worst of the supply chain crisis? What lessons have we learned over the past two years? And what is the future of the manufacturing supply chain? So... I, this and I don't even remember who I'm stealing this from, but whoever I am, thank you. Uh, manufacturing has had supply chain disruptions for as long as we've had supply chains. I think that's that's a definite truth. But as you point out, this one feels worse, and I think part of the reason is because there's been so much more attention on it. My mom, who's 84 years old, calls me and asks about what we're doing about supply chain disruptions. Like she's she didn't even know the word supply chain before that. Yeah. So, you know, the the awareness is up there, and I think that's that's actually a lesson learned. Is like. Now that there's more awareness, there's also more attention on addressing things. Some things, though, that we saw through this that I hope we, we take from the, the disruption from the pandemic and we take them forward are things like people realized that they didn't understand who was in their supply chain. And I'm, I'm not talking about regulated industries like FDA and those type of things. They know who's in their supply chain. Right. But for stuff we buy every day, a lot of those manufacturers, they know who they buy their stuff from, but they don't know who buys, you know, who they buy from and who they buy from and all that. Yeah. So that awareness is one that I think is a lesson learned and it's, there's a lot of activities. We sponsored a, a project that looked at how do you use off the shelf tools and some simple capabilities to try to expose who's in your supply chain. And again, not to use that in a punitive way because that was one of the things that people didn't wanna share, but in a positive way of like, hey, once we know who's in the supply chain, we can all work together to address the issues, which what I would say is the second lesson learned, work with your supply chain. Like it is not a buyer seller relationship. It is a partnership that together you're building these products. We encourage people that the ones that were flexible, engaged and communicated with their supply chain, they found ways to work past these problems. So that's another lesson learned. The other one too is 
you know, one of the benefits of a global distributed supply chain is cost. But we learned painfully that when that global supply chain breaks down, it's really hard to recover. And so what we've seen and what we encourage people to do is, hey, work with your you know, internal teams to understand where is the best place to have these suppliers. And it's not necessarily going to be the cheapest solution because risk reduction isn't free. And so we have to think about how we can leverage you know, the experience and knowledge, all these pieces. Ultimately, what one of the things that I think is going to be the future in supply chain is more communication and more data sharing. The more we share data and use that data constructively, the better we're going to be able to identify these disruptions as they're occurring or as they're building and try to mitigate them ahead of time. And we did another supply chain project that literally did that. It used artificial intelligence and machine learning to really dig into data to understand where risk was building so that we as supply chain managers and manufacturers we can start dealing with those problems early on and hopefully mitigate what the issue is and avoid a, an impact in the supply chain. Okay. We're talking about, you know, you're advocating for boosting connectivity and, and sharing data more openly. Let's shift gears to cybersecurity. You know, we're getting more interconnected. We're getting more vulnerable at the same time. How is in industrial cybersecurity changing with the, with the partners in your, your universe, the MXD partners there? You know, we're getting smarter, I assume, but we're also getting more complex. Likewise, threats are evolving. Bad actors are getting smarter and savvier and more persistent every day. How is cybersecurity changing in the industrial space? So, Chris, you hit the nail on the head, right? As we push more data sharing, we are actually exposing more risk. So we tell people you don't think about one without the other. So if you're starting to think about digital, start thinking about cyber. If you're not already there, start putting the plans in place. Right. Manufacturing through, through the pandemic went from number eight targeted market or industry for, for a supply chain or for cybersecurity attacks, excuse me, to now number one. So it jumped seven spots in two years. One of the reasons behind that is that these foreign agents, local agents, whoever they are, these, these, uh, these bad guys are starting to attack manufacturing, not for fun. They're doing it because they can make money doing that. So one of the things as MXD we do is we run a series of awareness campaigns, whether it's emails, whether it's, you know, cute things like we have an Ask Deb column that basically you ask questions about an expert from uh, manufacturing. Yeah. We focus on those to really raise people's awareness. And Chris, with the roadshows, one of the things that we find is that when we tell people that it's the number one target, when we tell people that small businesses are attacked just as often as large, it is an eye opener to some of the folks in the audience. And so what we tell people is you need to be aware of the fact that you as a small manufacturer are targeted, not just for who you are, but also for the fact that you are a pipeline or a pathway into the bigger manufacturers. Yeah. So we got to get them to understand that piece. Yeah. You know, we just did a survey on this front um, and, you know, you bring up a good point that a smaller enterprise might be a pathway to a larger enterprise. At the same time, um, the consensus is that bad actors have realized that smaller enterprises are probably more likely to pay up than a global enterprise. So they're saying, you know, we're going to get a fraction of the ransom that we would try to get from a global enterprise, but this small shop is going to pay us immediately because they just need to keep operations running. Um, so it's, it's scary stuff, but it's hopefully it's a, uh, it's a wake up call on that front. Well, here's some positive news. Cause I always get accused when I talk about cybersecurity, about <laughs> just Debbie Downer, but the, the positive on it is, you know, people are your biggest asset to protecting your operations, whether you're small or large, right? So, you know, a thing that I, that I always tell people, and we, we practice what we preach at MXD, 
we invest in training for all of our employees around cybersecurity. It's awareness building, it's understanding, it's, it's identifying you know, bad emails, ransomware attacks, all these. But we also attack our own employees. So we run a phishing campaign where it's basically an email attack that tries to get you to click on a link so that you now expose uh, information or a pathway into your company. Yeah. We attack our own employees with phishing attacks. I yeah. would rather they fail with our attack of course. than they fail with a real one. Yeah. And, you know, knock wood, we haven't had a successful attack. And I, I say that word explicitly. Everyone gets attacked. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. The whole thing is, are you going to do what you have to, you know, the best to your ability, do what you need to do to protect yourself. So yeah. that's really the message I always give is invest in your people first. People, we're talking about um, MXDs people. Let's broaden it out to the, to the wider uh, workforce of the domestic manufacturing world. Um, diversity or lack of diversity um, is usually the case, is uh, always an issue. Um, talking about, I know it's a hot button issue for you, the value of diversity in the workforce. Um, speak on that, um, you know, in addition to simply being the, the, the right thing to do and the smart thing to do, what are the benefits of, of really kind of nurturing and fostering a diverse workforce in the industrial space? Yeah, this, this is a passion piece for us, both myself individually, but us as an organization. And when you start thinking about manufacturing 30, 40 years ago, the typical employee was a white male from a rural community. Right. right. Farm family, those type of things. That community is not the same number that it was before, but also like if we think about the expanding needs, the skill set growth, the type of things that manufacturing needs. Again, when I go back to the taxonomies, it's identifying the future needs. So the jobs of today, the jobs of today are not the jobs of 30 years ago, but the jobs of tomorrow are not the jobs of today. There's an evolution. Mm -hmm. that. We need to start thinking about how do we go to underserved community and alternate communities, you know, people of color, women you know, groups that traditionally would never consider a job in manufacturing. I'm really excited about the fact that we did these, the hiring guide and the pathways because it, it, with the curriculum development that we do with our partners, our academic partners, we can show people how you can take training on your own, self-paced training to start earning those certs that get you the skills that get you those jobs in manufacturing. But manufacturers are starting to get this because they can't fill the jobs they want to offer the opportunity. So what they say to people is, look, you show up, we'll train you. We'll invest in you. We'll give you all the opportunity to grow. I, I want to highlight at MXD is that we don't just talk about this. These, I love giving these metrics because it's really important. More than half of our board of directors and of our, all of our employees are women. 30% of our board of directors are people of color. 40% of our staff are people of color. 50% in the technical roles. I'm really proud of that. I am a, you know, this is an audio. I'm a white male. Can't change who I am. But trust me, I'm, I'm not blind to the fact that if we're going to succeed overall as a nation, we have to look to our entire population to find the people that fill these roles. And so I always tell people is start thinking beyond the traditional. This is where I got people yesterday. This is where I'm going to try to get people tomorrow. Yeah. Start thinking as broad as possible. And the amazing thing is we just put out as we put out the roles and we just try to get this most diverse candidate pool as possible. What's amazing is the best talent that's hired, because this is an amazing team with amazing talents. You get diversity for free because you get the right people. You're going to get the right diverse organization. So strongly encourage people to do this. I think this is the way to solve our manufacturing workforce gaps of the future and today. Excellent. Uh, so the, the workforce issues of the, of the future, last question for you, very big picture. Um, again, I'm going to prompt you to be optimistic here. 
What excites you about digital transformation in the near future? So I'm going to go to the past to talk about the future. My first right. job at startup, we were a tools company. We work with all the leading consumer electronics companies as devices in the 90s and 2000s opened up. They all of a sudden became programmable platforms. Data started being shared. The device in your hand is what turned into the cell phones of today, right? The world changed because the data was made available. So it was, it was generated, it was aggregated, it was transformed, it was put into people's hands. And then you had the innovation use that data to really change the world. I think manufacturing is going through the same thing. Factory floors are opening up. The data is being collected off this equipment. The data is coming off the, su the supply chains. It's coming off of the enterprise side. All that data is being aggregated together. The amazing compute technology we have today, both at the edge and at the cloud, is miles and miles more than what was there 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. The innovation, it's going to be amazing. I don't know where we're going to end up, but I can tell you this. 15 years ago, did anybody think that an iPhone and an Android phones were going to be in our hands, the power that was in there? You know, 15 years from now, I, I'm looking forward to seeing where manufacturing is at because I really do think data is at the heart of it and we're going to see some amazing transformations and we got to make sure we bring the people along. So we got to upskill our workforce so that they're ready for that transformation. Excellent. Great way to end it. Ferradino Barada with MXD. Thank you for joining us on the Remaking Industry podcast today and welcome to your new role at MXD. Thank you. Yeah, we appreciate Great being you. here. Yeah, good to meet you. We appreciate you joining us here today, and we appreciate you listening to us. Continue to subscribe and follow along with the podcast um, where you're listening here. And as always, we encourage you to go out and make it a smart day.